Desert Breeze, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're with us. Let's praise our Savior who paid with his blood to save us. Let's sing together.
Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We're so glad you have joined us. We are doing a series titled Unshakable Identity. And uh, just to keep in mind as we continue to work through this series, we have an unshakable identity, which means that we can face anything in our lives. And, and this identity comes to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's something that, that we receive, not achieve. We don't achieve this, we receive this by grace through faith in Christ. And so we've been looking at the characteristics of this unshakable identity. And, and the first week of this series, Easter weekend, we are a new creation, a brand new life. We have a brand new life. We have been born again. And then last weekend we talked about we are free redeemed by the Son. And this weekend we're talking about that we are adopted, beloved by the Father. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8. We'll be looking at uh, verses 12 through 17. By the way, I'm gonna encourage you I, I, I like the fact that sometimes we study from electronic devices, but I would encourage you to get something like this. It's where you can circle it and underline it and write in the columns, and, and this message is gonna mean so much more to you if, uh, if, you, if you look at the text along with me and then take notes. Don't get lazy, come on, you can do this. And so I really want you to get the most out of each of these uh, weekend services. And so take a look at the sermon notes here, part of the intro. It doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense that Almighty God would have children characterized by inordinate anxiety, anger, and hopelessness. You see, chronic inordinate emotions in a believer is often the result of gospel amnesia, it's, it's forgetfulness. And so to the degree that you remember and relish who God is, who you are as his child, and what you have in him is to the degree that you will experience love, joy, peace, and abounding hope in all circumstances. I love the quote from theologian Sinclair Ferguson. He said this, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. It's the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. Now, this whole idea of being sons of God or children of God, uh, throughout Romans 8, we studied the whole chapter last week, we're just focusing in on these few verses, but throughout Romans 8, Christians are three times called sons of God, verse 14, 15, and 19, and three times called children of God, verses 16, 17, and 21. Four of those six times in this chapter are in our text. See if you can recognize this as we read through the text. So, so let's read our text, Romans 8, 12 through 17. And it says here, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord to us. And so what amazing text that is. And so we're going to look at seven incredible privileges of being a child of God. And here's the first one. It's on your notes here. It, it means guidance, that he guides us. And it's really based on verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, what does that mean, that we are led by the Spirit of God? Immediately, I think most people would think, oh, oh I know what that is. That's where God gives us guidance to pick a spouse or, or to pursue a career or to purchase a home or whatever. And, and certainly, God can lead you in all of those. Most importantly, he just wants you to be wise in your decision-making process. But there's something much more fundamental to that and, and to our being wise with making decisions. And so I, I really believe what he means by this is that we are, the Holy Spirit will lead us to put to death the deeds of the body. Now look at the previous verses to 14, verses 12 and 13. It says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. Flesh is our sinful nature. It's, our, it's really living for our glory it's um, self-absorption, self-centeredness. And so he says, not to the flesh. We are, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he's talking about putting to death the deeds of the body. And that's what the Holy Spirit will lead us in. In putting to death the deeds of the body. And so it means he leads us to put to death the deeds of the body. Now listen to me. If you don't get anything else, you've got to get this. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. In fact, God said to Cain in Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to destroy you, but you must rule over it. And so he's giving us a picture here and uh, that almost as if, let's just say that a lion got loose from the, the Phoenix Zoo and it somehow found its way into your home. And uh, so you come home late one night, walk into the door, and there's that tiger or lion that, that jumps out at you and grabs a hold of you. That's what he's talking about there. That's the imagery. That's the picture that he wants us to understand. Be killing sin. Our sin will be killing you. And how do we do that? I think these uh, three verses help us with that. So the first thing we want to do is you've got to turn from sin. <clears throat> he says, put to death the deeds of the body. That word put to death, is, it, it means it is a ruthless, violent, and total resistance to wrong thoughts, words, and actions. So the deeds of the body would be thoughts, words, and actions. Sinful thoughts, words, 
in actions. And, th- and this is a ruthless, violent. So you go through that door, that lion plunges on you, and you have to cut its head off. You have to stab it. And that's the idea that he wants us to have. There should be a sense of urgency in dealing with sin. And, and so um, I think that's really critical. And I, I think you need, first of all, if you're going to turn from sin, you've got to be aware of your sin in your life. If you're not aware of your sin, it tells us in 1 John 1, 8, you're self-deceived. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And, and so if you're not aware of your sin, sin is going to get a hold of you. It's going to devour you. It's going to take you. And many of the old theologians would call this uh, the mortification of the flesh or mortify the deeds of the body. And so it's ruthless, it's violent, and you've got to think through in the last 24, 48 hours, the last week, think about the words, the thoughts you've thought and the words you have spoken and the, and the actions you've taken. I mean, if you, you can't spot some way where sin is crouching at your door, then you're totally out of touch with reality and you're gonna be taken out by sin. And, and so thoughts... Words, actions. Now, you don't just avoid sin or the things that lead to sin or even things that are questionable. You must put them to death. In fact, Jesus even put it like this in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's just saying, take drastic measures in dealing with the sin in your life. And so you turn from sin, you turn to the Savior. That's based on verse 12 of what we just read. He says, so then. We started the whole text off by saying, so then. And he's referring to the previous 11 verses of this chapter. Because of the fact that he has set us free uh, to the penalty of sin, and not only to the penalty of sin, but the power of sin, and we have the empowering uh, presence of the Holy Spirit in us, then he's saying, because of that, that, that is amazing. He's just saying, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, and the implication is, but to the Spirit, We are totally in debt to what God has done for us and in us. And so this is a heartfelt gratitude um, of indebtedness for all that Christ has done and will do for you, which makes sin. The more you see what he's done for you, the more it makes sin look cheap, shoddy, and superficial. And so it just, it, it really begins to do a number on your heart and life, it transforms you. And, uh, and the third thing, so you turn from sin, that's, that's ruthless, violent, turning away from sin, turn to the Savior, begin to discover that he is more desirable, more satisfying than anything that this world would offer or anything that sin would offer. And then the third thing is if you wanna maintain this, you must preach the gospel to your heart. That's based on verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So what is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Well, Jesus made it clear in John 16, 14. He said, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. 
He will glorify me. So this is what's happening when the Holy Spirit's working in our, in our hearts and lives. Jesus will become more beautiful to your imagination and more attractive to your heart than sin. And so you've got to preach that to your heart. Preach that, listen to the Holy Spirit, lead you in that. Now most Christians use law-centered mini-sermons to keep from sinning. It goes something like this, that if, if I do that, God will get me, or, or it's against my Christian principles, or I will hurt people around me, and I will hate myself in the morning. Those are law-centered mini-sermons. Uh, this is what you should be speaking to yourself every day when being tempted. You should say, look what God has done for me. Look at what God has done for me. Is this how I respond to the one who loves me, pursued me, and gave his life for me? Is this the return I make to the Father for his love, the Son for his blood, and the Holy Spirit for his grace? We sin because we love sin more than we love our Savior. Sin is is what we do when we are not satisfied with God. And so holiness, holiness is being so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. That's what the Holy Spirit is leading you in. He's leading you closer to Christ where he becomes bigger, stronger, greater, more satisfying, um, more sufficient. He is sufficient in every way than anything that sin would offer you. So being a child of God gives you guidance. The second thing is it gives you courage. It's based on verse 15a. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons. That is a beautiful verse. I would encourage you to take that verse and memorize it and meditate on it. It's, it's, it's breathtaking. And, and what he's saying here is that we are not to behave like cringing, fearful slaves, but like God's very own children filled with love and courage. So why is it that we become fearful We become fearful when we believe the lie that our problems are bigger than God. You will always become fearful when you begin to see your problems looming larger than the God that you serve, the living God of the Bible. We become courageous when we believe the truth that our God is bigger than our problems. You see, the key is not to minimize your problems but to see your problems compared to the greatness and the goodness of God. Isaiah 40 is a great example of this. It gives us a very helpful example. God's people were uh, discouraged because they seemed so weak in comparison to the powerful nation that, that held them captive. And they had removed God from the equation and were comparing themselves to their captors instead of comparing their captors to their God. And so Isaiah 40, if you're familiar with it, the very last verse says, they that wait upon the Lord shall be renewed with strength. You might be familiar with that, maybe familiar with the song. Well, in that chapter, uh, the writer, the prophet, says this, to try to help them to gain some perspective so they're not uh, so cowardly toward their captors, but they have more courage. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and weighed the mountains on the scales. 
what is he saying? He's saying, don't you realize how big God is, how great God is, how good God is? So let me ask you this. As I was thinking through this, measure the waters in the hollow of your hand, how much water do you think you could hold in the hollow of your hand? <laughs> uh, not much, probably about an ounce. Some of you that have bigger hands maybe an ounce and a little more than an ounce, but that's about the extent of it. We couldn't really hold much more than an ounce of water in the hollow of our hand. And what it's saying in Isaiah 40, 12, God held the waters, measured the waters, meaning all of them, all of the waters. And the best estimate that we can make is that the earth was about, the earth, the earth has about 332.5 million cubic miles of water. A cubic mile of water equals more than 1.2 trillion gallons. All the waters from all the ponds, lakes, rivers, and oceans on planet Earth fill only a small place in his hand. Oh my goodness, that, that, is, that, that thought is beyond our ability to fully grasp. So those of us who can barely hold a teaspoon of water in our hand Shouldn't we trust, shouldn't we trust the one, our, our God, the one who cups the, the oceans in the hollow of his hand like a few drops from a faucet? See, God is off the charts. He is beyond anything we could think or imagine. He is greater than any problem we will ever face. And and so here's the rationale, here's the gospel logic. If someone as loving, wise, and sovereign as the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth, of the universe, calls you his child, then why would we ever be afraid? It doesn't make sense. So here's my question for you. Are your feelings and behavior to life's circumstances, so whatever you might be facing, maybe you're facing some hardship, maybe even beyond this coronavirus uh, pandemic, maybe you're, you've lost your job or you're, you're battling cancer or any number of things. So, so here's the question. Are, you, are your feelings and behavior to life circumstances more like a slave who is afraid or is it more like a child who is assured of his father's love? Because chances are, when we begin to look at the circumstances of our life, we can respond either by being a slave, falling back into fear, as he said, or like an adopted son and we cry, Abba, Father. And so, if you are anxious, bitter, and filled with, filled with self-pity, you are more like a slave. If you are loving, joyful, and peaceful, you're more like a son. So being a child of God gives you guidance, courage, and then it gives us the third thing is belonging. That's based on verse 15b but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you see the plurality there? We're sons. 
We, we cry, we, we together, we cry, Abba, Father. So there's a plurality. So not only are we connected to the creator and sustainer of the, of the universe who calls us his children, he's our daddy. Literally, that's what that word means, Abba, Father. Literally, daddy. And um, so we're not only connected to him, but we're connected to one another. There's the body of Christ. There's the family of God. And we belong to the family of God and we belong to our Father in heaven and his Son and the Holy Spirit. And so adoption was not a second-class status in this biblical culture. Adoption occurred when a wealthy adult had no heir for his estate or thought that his heir was incompetent to handle the estate. And so he would then adopt someone as heir. It could be a child or youth or an adult But the moment, the moment adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of this this new son. Number one, all old debts were canceled and any new debts were covered by dad. And, And the second thing is that he had a brand new name. He had a new name and instantly became an heir of all the father had. That's, that's amazing. When it, when we relate that to what we have in, in God. I, I like what J.F. Packard said about adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. That's us. We were traitors. And he brings us into his family and, and, and gives us the family name and the family inheritance. And, and so adoption as sons, we cry. Every human being has a deep longing for belonging. Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And oftentimes people think he's talking about marriage. No, he's talking about community. We need community. Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. Not because he was imperfect. Did I get that right? Let me say it again. Okay. Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The need for friends is not the result of sin. And so it is how God created us. And so if, if you were not plugged in to a life group or have not been cultivating a circle of close friends before this coronavirus stay-at-home orders, then you've got to be feeling pretty lonely about now unless you're in denial. You see, many of our small groups have still been connecting either on the phone or through Zoom. They're continuing to have their meetings even as we have our staff meetings on Zoom. And so... So, so that we are continuing to connect with one another. And our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. And so it, community is more than just showing up here on a weekend service and listening to the worship service or being a part of the worship service and then going off your merry way. No, it's about getting into other people's lives and them getting into your life. It's called fellowship, koinonia. It's about community and sharing the deep things of God with one another. And so we desperately need that and God invites us into that 
We can experience this belonging, not just with him, but with others. And so DB, Desert Breeze, is a place where strangers become friends and friends become family. That's, that's what we want. And so people who isolate themselves from others tend to be mired in all kinds of psychological and emotional dysfunction. It is not good for you to be alone. And so part of this uh, being a child of God is that we belong to God, we belong to one another. So being a child of God gives you guidance, courage, belonging, and then the fourth one is intimacy. That's based on verse 15c. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, and also based on verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so So what should be taking place between us and God? There should be this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. Um, I've read a number of books here within the last month. One book that I read I thought was really helpful, really good. The title of it is Don't Lose Heart, Gospel Hope for the Discouraged by Jason Meyer. And, And listen to what he writes here. He says, there are orphanages throughout the world where it is common for babies and young children to be silent. Why? The children have learned that they could cry, but no one would answer. So they learned to stop reaching out. Andy Bilson, a British professor of social work, writes this, without a doubt, the most gut-wrenching sound I've ever heard is that of silence in a ward full of children in an orphanage. In orphanages throughout Europe, Africa, Asia, and South America, babies have learned not to cry because they realize no one will comfort them. They are ignored, forgotten, and silent. And so he's saying to us, though, we cry out, we cry out, Abba, Father, this is baby talk with deep emotion. And as, as children of God, you have a father. You have the father's undivided attention, unconditional affection, and unlimited action working for your good and his glory. First Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says that he is a compassion. He's, he's a father of compassion, a God of all comfort. Do you hear me? He is a father of compassion, a God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can in turn comfort others in their troubles. And so the deeper the love relationship, the deeper the conversation goes toward truthfulness and adoration. The whole book of Psalms is all about that. And so that we can call the creator and sustainer of the universe Daddy is beyond words. Verse 15 is absolutely a stunningly beautiful truth that is meant to bring healing and wholeness to your soul as you live more and more in the reality of it. Verse 15, let me, let me read it again. I, I put it on a card. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And he hears us. He responds to us. We can have intimacy with him. And, and, and no matter what kind of background you, you have come from, whether uh, your parents or your father was abusive or neglectful, God can bring healing to your heart. Let him redef- redefine fatherhood to you and so that it brings that healing. Now, let me just give you a warning here. Beware of this. There's a real liberal gospel throughout our culture, throughout America. It's becoming more and more liberal. And, and you need to distinguish that from the Bible gospel. So the liberal gospel says this, God, God loves me because I'm valuable. God loves me because I'm amazing. That's very common in many churches. They're preaching that. That's liberal gospel. It makes it all about you. But Bible gospel is this. I am valuable because God loves me. It's all about God. He doesn't love us because of who we are and what we've done. He loves us because of who he is and what he's done for us. And so our value comes from him. Now, God doesn't love you because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. Once you've tasted of intimacy with God, (laughs) believe me, nothing compares. Oh my goodness. That's what he invites us into. No romance, can give you the love, no money can give you the security, no success in this world can give you the significance that only being a child of God can give you. So being a child of God gives you guidance, courage, belonging, intimacy, and now inheritance, verse 17a. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, so, so what he's saying here is that there is an incredible future that awaits us. And as I was kind of reflecting on this, I believe that this being an heir, this, it's not just about our future, but it's about in the here and now also. And so we are heirs of, of the kingdom of God. And uh, I was thinking about hope once again this last week. My wife and I were out uh, riding our tandem bike early Wednesday morning and we were talking about this whole idea of hope and we were reciting and remembering Romans 15 13 where it says may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope and so this hope is is not wishful thinking it's confident joyful expectation almost almost kind of like a, a child that can't hardly wait for Christmas morning. And so I've been thinking lately about this coronavirus, and, and I almost have that, that sense of hope. When this is all over, what is God gonna do as a result of all of this that we've been going through? Believe me, it is gonna be really, really good. And I've been praying for those that, that are part of Desert Breeze Community Church that during this time that, that you would grow deeper stronger, more intimate, and wiser in your relationship with God. That we would come out of this just going for God unlike ever 
before. And so that's my hope. That's my anticipation. I just can't wait to see what God's going to do through all of this. And that's how you should face any kind of suffering. God, this is really hard, but God, I can't hardly wait to see how you're going to work this for my good and your glory. And that's part of our inheritance. In ancient times, as it related to this uh, being firstborn, the firstborn was the heir. He got the largest share of, of the wealth and carried on the family name. And, and so the Bible talks about this over and over again. Matthew 5, 5, 5 tells us that we will inherit the earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has in store for us. But then he goes on and says, but the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And so we get glimpses of it, this side of eternity, there's no doubt about it. And those glimpses can be overwhelming all that we have in him. He calls all Christians heirs of God, firstborn of God. So what is in store for us is so great and glorious that it will make us feel like, that, like we alone have received all of his inheritance and all of the glory of God. That's how overwhelming it will be. And in fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that when we experience more of his glory, we're going to look back on the suffering and consider it light and momentary compared to what we have in him, the inheritance from God and through Jesus Christ. So being a child of God gives you guidance, courage, belonging, intimacy, and an inheritance, but also brings discipline. Ho, ho, ho. You're going to love this one. This is all part of it, being a part of the family of God. That's based on verse 17b. He says, provided we suffer with him. You're gonna face suffering. That's what it's saying. Provided you suffer with God. I've oftentimes seen people that defect from the faith because of suffering. No, you need to suffer with God, with Christ Jesus. And uh, probably the best text on this discipline is found in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. I would encourage you to read that on your own, that whole, that whole uh, set of verses. But let me just kind of hop, skip, and jump through these verses and show you what it says. He says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure hardship or hardship, enduring hardship is, is his discipline towards us is what it's, what it's saying. So any hardship is the Father disciplining us, developing us, helping us, strengthening us, helping us to get refocused. God is treating you as sons. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's an amazing text. And the most loving father in the universe will discipline, will discipline you as his child because he always has your best interest at heart. And by the way, his discipline is not punitive. It's purifying and his discipline will be perfectly made for you. You see, his love is very sophisticated. He, he knows exactly what we need. 
And so he, he brings the circumstances into our life in such a way to continue to discipline us and, and develop us. And so being a child of God gives you guidance, courage, belonging, intimacy, inheritance, discipline, and here's the last one, family resemblance. And we could go on. There's, there's probably many more that you could add to this. I, I wanted to kind of overwhelm you with all of, all of these characteristics that are ours through Christ Jesus. But family resemblance is based on... Uh, Verse 17c, it's the last part of, of our text. He says, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Have you ever noticed how members of a single family have similar features and mannerisms? Yeah, my, my wife has said to me that I, I act like my father at times and... Um, I'm not sure if that was negative or positive. It's probably negative. But, uh, but she also said, I, I have his hairline also. <laughs> and, and yes, he was bald. I was, I'm more bald. And, uh, but family members of the, of the same family, they have uh, similar features and mannerisms. So through our suffering with Christ, we will also be glorified with him. We're gonna take on more and more of Christ-like characteristics and and so this is both both future will be glorified with him but I believe it's also present it's part of him sanctifying us there is nothing more glorious than a person who is more and more like Christ Jesus (laughs) you 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 typically want to hang around that person because they have just amazing compassion and, and courage and contentment and, and they're just filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. John, uh, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, by this you will, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so that's that family, that family resemblance. Now, now how do we take on the family resemblance. Um, Though we are adopted, God implants Christ's nature in us. It's called regeneration. We become born again, 1 Peter 1, 23. And God works through our circumstances to conform us to the likeness of his son, Romans 8, 28, and 29. Our Savior faced rejection and persecution because of who he was and because he had come to expose sinfulness and warn of judgment and offer salvation through himself. Likewise, his family will suffer as they live for him and proclaim the gospel. So this is how Christians suffer, showing the family resemblance of Christ. In uh, Acts 5, 41 through 42, now keep in mind the, the, the disciples, the apostles, were, had been beaten and threatened by the, by the high courts of the land, by the uh, religious courts, and, and they were threatened not, to, they were said, if they were told not to preach this gospel, don't preach this Jesus anymore. Here's their response. It's beautiful. Acts 5, 41 and 42. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What? They were rejoicing. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. And so we are adopted, 
beloved by the Father, giving us guidance, courage, belonging, intimacy, inheritance, discipline, and family resemblance. It doesn't make sense that Almighty God would have children characterized by inordinate anxiety, anger, and hopelessness. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how we are alive, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The text that you can read uh, for that will be Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Don't forget also this Sunday, April the 25th at 6 p.m., Facebook Live, we will be working through the growing notes. And, and also, stay tuned after this prayer for some, some announcements. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, we are amazed that you would call us your children because Jesus prayed on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can cry with confidence, Abba, Father. For our sake, Father, you made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become your beloved children and take on Christ's righteousness. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. May the reality of, of each of these incredible privileges of being a child of God become more and more real to our hearts as we live with joy for your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great week. Hey, Desiree's family. As you know from the video last weekend after the service and from some of the live updates we've been doing, we at the church, uh, the pastors and staff, are really super excited about the way the church building is coming along. Um, progress is being made really quickly, and God is just working in amazing ways. But what we are even more excited about is how God is growing this church person to person interrelationally. And, and I know that's happening online through Facebook and other things like that, but it is amazing to see how God is really just connecting us in ways we never thought would happen um, through the Bible studies on Sunday nights with Pastor Ray. Uh, going through the growing notes or um, other Bible studies going on throughout the week in the mornings or just encouraging comments happening. Um, it is just amazing to see this church being built physically here in person, but also being built spiritually through God's work in everyone. And I just want to give up a huge praise and a thank you to our Lord for how he is working in our lives through this um, really trying time. So I just want to say bless all of you. We are so, so thankful for you as a congregation, your continued sacrificial giving, your prayers, your support for one another, and your support for Desert Breeze and God's church at large in the world. So please keep praying. Just keep loving our God and trusting him. He has everything in his awesome sovereign control. So please have a great week and we hope to see you soon.